Well, good morning. Welcome to our morning worship. See, the balcony is quite substantially full. There's always uh, room down here. Do um, join us as we come together for worship. Here's a, a verse just to set the scene for this service as we're thinking about a fresh encounter with the risen Lord Jesus. Picture the Lord speaking to the church, asking for him to come in and renew relationships. May that happen to us all here today. Let's read this together. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hear my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with them and they with me. Eating and sharing is part of our communion as well and that will be an integral part of our service today. The overall theme of this service is reaching out to God in our need, and in terms of being part of a healing community. So this service, the, the way that it comes together is going to be uh, structured differently, and uh, we pray that God will meet with each of us the point of our various needs, some acute and some just uh, struggles of life that we need a fresh encounter with the living Jesus. So let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the immense blessing and privilege of being part of a worshipping community, a community of healing grace, of renewing love, of open relationships, community whereby conflicts are settled and resolved, a community where we choose to live in areas where we are vulnerable. And so we pray today if we are closed in upon ourselves that you would draw us out and open our lives, our hearts, our minds to you today. Praise my soul, the King of Heaven. And so it is to your feet we bring our tributes. Ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven. Who like us today should praise you in such a way? And we want to do that. And we want the words of our mouths, the meditation of our hearts, to be true and sincere and meaningful. In this service, O oh Lord, we pray that you would help us to find the true strength which comes even in this service in sharing our weaknesses. Today may we discover the true courage that comes from acknowledging our fears and that true humility that comes from recognizing our insufferable pride. And indeed, even in these moments, the true voice that comes from encountering our silence by your Holy Spirit supremely 
the true life that comes from embracing your death and resurrection. So renew us today in the whole of our service and cause us to know your living presence as we seek to worship you in spirit and in truth. And we pray for the glory of your name. Amen. Our reading this morning comes from Luke chapter 18, verse 1 to 14. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice, so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? To some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. I'm going to use an illustration which Hannah might be horrified about. She doesn't know. (laughs) Have you ever seen or been in one of those arcades full of um, slot machines? Yes, some of you noticed. You don't? I have a fascination not for participating but observing and trying to detect um, compulsive personalities, addictive types. Uh, I sometimes go to the pound shop as well to pretend I'm buying things. And you look and observe people. It's quite a fascinating thing to do. If you've got spare half an hour sometime, you should <laughs> do that. Okay. Um, as a child, my father used to say that the uh, arcade machines, that place was the devil's haunt, so we weren't allowed to go there, which made it all the more attractive, such as life. There is a machine, I'm told, uh, though not from experience, that ostensibly can measure your romantic appeal. Has any of you ever? Yeah, well, you wouldn't admit to that anyway, would you? Even if you did. And you certainly wouldn't give the results. You insert a pound, you squeeze
squeeze the handle and watch the machine come alive, I'm told, like a Christmas tree with all lights flashing like that. And then there's the, the scale that you have. Um, and uh, it begins something like this. Uh, well, how far up the scale will you score? Because uh, that's an important part. You might start, for instance, with uh, amorous, uh, irresistible, drop-dead gorgeous, or something like that. Uh, and then finally, the indicator comes right round to rest, and it says, cold fish. And then you think, it wasn't worth the money anyway, and you wouldn't take it seriously. But just imagine if God designed a machine that rated our spirituality, our true spiritual standing. How would that work? Just imagine that for a moment. The bottom, for sure, would be where none of us would want to be, hypocrite. But moving up, we might find average, as good as most, a bit lukewarm, an overcomer, strong commitment. What would it be? Well, in these two parables that Neil just read to us just now, is our Lord's interesting observation of uh, two people in church. And I want us to think about that um, as we will have an open period of prayer in the course of this service. This is a series that we're looking at and um, under the heading Stories Jesus Told, we call them parables. They often have um, an earthly illustration with a greater spiritual or a heavenly meaning. You can't help but notice, however, and this is what we've observed throughout the series so far, is this incredible method that Jesus has. The method of giving a sharp contrast into two um, pictures. Last, last week, last Sunday, we looked at um, the two foundations. And you can't help but see how extreme they are. Outwardly, the two houses might look exactly the same. The problem isn't visible. The problem is hidden. It's a foundation problem. And outwardly, it looks all right until the stresses and strains of life come and the house collapses like a pack of cards. And then Jesus obviously then goes on to say, which are you most like? How good is your foundation? What are you building your life upon? That's a powerful il illustration. It's often used as a, a sermon for marriage. Here's a couple starting out life together. What are they going to build upon? But here we have another very sharp contrast. And, and what Jesus does then is to drive home ruthlessly his application. We become far too sentimental about parables. Aren't they lovely stories? No, they are very disturbing. Driving home this personal application and compelling us to identify with one or the other. Which am I today most like when I see these two people standing to pray? 
in the temple. Which am I most like? At our um, home group when, last week when we were talking about a week last Thursday, uh, some of these um, il- illustrations, uh, I gave this um, sort of sentence, if you like, which I'd read in the paper, actually. And I think it would fit in very well with what Jesus is saying here. And it's this. Tell me, and I'll probably forget. Well, I do anyway. Teach me, and I may remember something. We will remember something from being here today. But, and this is the genius of what Jesus is really doing now. He's, he's saying, well, in fact, what he's doing is, this is his method. Involve me, involve me, and something will happen to me. When you involve me, I will learn. And it's learning not just in my mind, but in my life. And so what he's doing here is involving us, drawing us into this narrative, and compelling us now to say, is my life just one of pretense? Is it a charade? Or is there an authentic truth that rings through because I put my trust in Jesus Christ? Well, very quickly then, that's Jesus' method. Let's look how it uh, unfolds before us. Just two, two headings very quickly. The first is persistent prayer, where life is really harsh and difficult. And the second is accepting or affirming of one another. Just two, two headings and how that applies to us here this morning. The first. This persistent prayer you have in verses 1, 1 to, to 8 of the, of the first parable. The judge, there, you see, he gives his philosophy of life. He says, I don't believe in God. I don't care much about other people. It's all about me, what I can have, what I can do. And this woman is a source of great irritation to me. So he's void even respect for God and indifferent to the plight of people. And there were lots of oppressed, impoverished widows during that day. There's nothing unusual about this. It's just life. The only thing that's different here is this, that she is not going to give up. She's not going to settle to be fobbed off by the judge. She pleads her case. Look at, look at verse 3. There was a, a widow in the town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. What is he like? Well, look at verse 2. There is a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. Well, there you have two great contrasts. Somebody who's absolute power and somebody who's impoverished, trodden upon, forgotten about. Except for one thing. The pivotal thing here is her resolute, determined persistence. So, in verses 4 and 5, you see we don't need to dwell on it too much. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, giving his philosophy, though I don't fear God, I don't care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see she gets justice 
so that she won't eventually wear me out by my coming. The interesting phrase in the original language, she won't give me a black eye. Not literally, but that sort of thing. It's just, she's in my face all the time. Now, you see what's happening here. There's a great contrast between power and weakness. And yet, there's a, a, a turning of the tide here. What we have here, quite simply, is this, that there are situations in life that we'd have to say, it's not fair. Life isn't fair. And we sometimes know that in a general sense, but there are occasions when that comes into very sharp focus. It's often unjust. And experiences are often inexplicable. But, as the point that comes out of this illustration is this, God is both good and just. You see the contrast? Look at verse 6 to 8, just to see. Let the passage speak for itself. And the Lord said, here's there, here's the, the application that's coming. Listen to what the unjust judge says and step up a gear. Will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off, fobbing them off like this judge? I tell you, he will see that they get justice, and quickly. However, what is the real issue? When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith? on the earth? Will he find a living faith in people's hearts and lives in a world that is unjust and unfair? That's the issue. Prayer is not a sprint. Um, like, this is a character prayer. Um, Lord, get me out of this spot and I'll never bother you again. It's not like that. It doesn't work like that. It's more like a marathon. It's more like a, a relationship. Marathon is very different to a sprint, clearly. And what Jesus does is challenge us to keep praying, to not give up. I know some of you are giving up on, on prayer. You, you have a sneaking suspicion that actually it is auto-suggestion. And whilst you want to keep up appearances, the truth is, it doesn't really seem to work and make much difference. Challenge me about that if that is the case. But in true prayer, surely, there are at least three dimensions, and that is there's a, there's a past, there's a present, and a future. And uh, there's uh, two prayers going to come up in a moment, just to try to... Uh, help us to um, participate at this point. Uh, both are prayers of uh, St. Augustine uh, in the mid-fourth century. So of past, present and future. I don't know if you, I've always had a custom of uh, keeping prayers in the diary, reading them from time to time, starting out in the new year, putting it in and then seeing as the year unfolds how this is working out. I have this one. Um, and it's going to come up. Uh, there you are. Uh, yes, St. Augustine, can you? 
Yeah, there it is. Um, so we trust the past. What's our past like? What's our story? If the mercy of God is there, that is surely a great grace. For God is merciful, unlike the ruthless judge. I can live out my life to trust the past with all that messed up oftentimes to the mercy of God. And then, the present to his love. Here we are today. And we can taste and see that he's good and experience again his love. And then the future to his providence. The future to his providence, a lovely phrase, isn't it? With the brevity of words, he will provide hence his providence. So we can live out our lives like that. We can own that prayer. And here's another one um, by uh, Augustine. Uh, I'm going to read, well, you can read it as I speak, and then if you want to, only if you want to, um, borrow this prayer and then own it. Yes, it's hundreds of years old. Own it, just like the Lord's Prayer or any prayer, and your own. Past, present, and the future. Just read that for yourself for a moment. In the context of this service that is focused around praying specifically. So this second prayer, let's read it together. O Lord, you have mercy on us all. Take away from me my sins and mercifully set me ablaze with the fire of your Holy Spirit. Take away from my heart heart of stone and give me a human heart a heart to love and adore you a heart to delight in you to follow and enjoy you Amen without a heart we sort of we endure God and we don't enjoy him it's part of what it is but with a renewed heart that's a transforming issue for us personally. So what's the application of this first parable, if you like? The application is quite simply this. Don't give up. Don't give up. And it's not just don't give up on prayer. It's this idea of don't give up on God when you pray. Hold on to this sort of perseverance. That's the the application of this persistent prayer. Then we'll go on to the second, very quickly. Acceptance of one another. Can we move on with that? Yeah. Acceptance of one another. Verses 9 to 14. Here is our Lord's observation of the temple. Who is it addressed to? Well, to those who were confident in their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, in other words, they really felt that they were much more spiritually superior. To those, he gives this parable. Two men went to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and one a tax collector. Let's just get the contrast first, otherwise you won't see the impact. The Pharisee is a professional religious person who knows everything about the Torah. And if you needed any explanation, he could give it to you from memory. A lot of the Pharisees memorized the Torah. 
So they were the experts. They were also the aristocracy of the day. In contrast to that, there's the tax collector. Now, the tax collector is not like the inland revenue. This is different. Tax collector, most of them were Jewish people, some were Samaritans, and they were employed by the Romans to garner tax from the people. And each of them had an area. Was, uh, the, the, the Roman emperor is very structured. And they are to collect so much money. And they would pay that to the Romans. But if they collected more, well, that was all right. Now, we're not saying they were all dishonest, but it left a door open for crass materialism. So they were on the fringe of society, Jewish society, religious society. They lived in sort of subcultures. What on earth is he doing in church? He shouldn't be here. The contrast is powerful, and if you see that, you won't see the impact of this. It is hard to imagine a greater contrast at two levels. The first, the human, a Pharisee and a tax collector. We've given that. Pride, self-righteousness, somebody who has everything together and has arrived. And the second, humility, and a powerful sense of his own innate sinfulness. Contrast couldn't be greater, couldn't be polarized further. That's the human. But the divine perspective is also interesting. Look at verse 14. What's the end of all this? When the service is over, if you like. I tell you, this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled that he who humbles himself will be exalted. You see this contrast all the time. And what's the question and the application? Well, there it is. It's a question for all of us. How will we personally leave this morning? I hope that we will leave with a, a, a deeper sense of realism in our lives. You see, here's the Pharisee. He, notice, if you were to read verse 11 carefully, he's actually praying to himself. He is his own religion. You're on your own. A lot of people believe that. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself and to himself. God, me, my, I thank you. I'm not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, even like this tax collector. A sideways glance. Now I know this is very disturbing, isn't it? This is a man whose heart was bloated with pride. The Pharisee is so full of himself that he's actually got no room for God. No room. But the tax collector, a swindler, apparently, ostracized by society, faces himself and says, God be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, there's the contrast. When it's all over, one goes home justified by God. Another good home justified by him or herself.
What's the application? Well, if the first is don't give up, the second is don't be proud. Pride in that negative sense. Because we should be proud, we take pride in our appearance, in our work. It's not that sort of proud. Humble yourself before God. Or put it another way, don't let pride hinder God's blessing today. You see, this service now we're going to open up to pray. Pray for one another. And when I and you ask for prayer, we are really saying, I need help. And I need help outside of myself. I need forgiveness, yes, sometimes I need to forgive myself, but I need God to forgive me, first and foremost. That's the application. Don't be proud. Humble yourself. Don't give up on prayer. Keep persisting. No pretense. Just as I am. The hymn writer puts it. Without one plea, but that your blood was shed for me, and that you bid me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. It's the great Christian prayer. I know it's used in evangelistic meetings, but it is the great prayer of the Christian. Just as I am awaiting not to rid my soul of one dark blot to thee whose blood can cleanse each spot, Lamb of God, I come, I come. And so whatever our needs today, Jesus Christ, by the power of his resurrection, can meet with us. Whether they are physical and obvious, spiritual, perhaps less obvious, relational, where we bring things into the week and into the month and into the year of unhealed relationships. So that at prayer at communion we are able to focus on all of these. Let me finally um, give um, sort of a, a brief statement about healing so that we can be specific as best we can. I try to sit down and think, that, well, what do I mean? What, what do you understand by healing? This is what I've come up with. Listen to it. And let it apply to everyone of us here this morning. And note, so what is healing? Answer. A noticeable improvement in any condition physical or spiritual in response to a prayer of faith. I'll put it in three words. Restoration to wholeness. That's the biblical imperative. A noticeable improvement in any condition physical or spiritual in response to the prayer of faith. And if we went back to the temple, for the one is a radical transformation and the other just the same. And we can leave today transformed by the power of God. So what we're going to have now is
that the, the group are going to uh, come up and lead us. Rob's going to introduce this theme where we focus a little more specifically and if I can explain as well, those elders who are stationed in these places here and upstairs will be an opportunity for you to um, go to them or come to the front uh, and ask for specific prayer. And then halfway through that session, we will go into communion and then continue to pray. So the service is structured somewhat differently today. Thanks, Rob. Communion slightly different this morning. Um, we will share bread and wine together uh, a little bit later. Um, the group is going to play some songs quietly. The words will be up so you can sing. Um, we'll keep that quiet. Um, there will be elders here and at the end and upstairs as well. Is that right? I think they've got badges on, so if you don't know who they all are, um, you can spot them. Um, Jeff and Neil will be at the front. And... Um, if you want to be anointed with oil, and I'll explain a little in a second about that, um, come to the front for that. Um, encourage you to be involved. Um, it doesn't have to be something big. It could just be that you want, as Jeff has already encouraged us, to um, have a restoration to wholeness. And the Spirit of God working in us does that. And we need to come as we are. We need to be a bit vulnerable with each other. So this is an opportunity for that. So we'll do that before we share bread and wine. So in a moment, Jeff will almost like instigate the Lord's Supper and pray and thank the Lord for the bread and the wine. And then we'll pray together. And we'll sing together. And then at the right time, Jeff will come back to the front and the stewards will uh, come up, the, the deacons and elders who will be serving. And they'll serve you in the normal way, the bread and the wine. And then we'll close our time. So, so that's the pattern of where we're going. Um, just wanted to share, Jeff and I were preparing for this morning, and just wanted to share a couple of um, thoughts, really, about what it is we're, we're doing. So the subject of healing is a very sensitive subject, and you may be someone that's already thought this through over many years. You may be someone who's not really considered what we mean by praying for healing. Um, Jesus healed in the Gospels, and it's the same Jesus yesterday, today, and forever. There's no change in his character, there's no change in his nature. He's the visible likeness of the invisible God. We're encouraged in Scripture. Anyone among you in trouble, says in James, let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you ill? Well, let them call the elders of the church to pray over them, and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The restoration of wholeness. The Lord will raise them up. If they've sinned, they'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other, so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Now, God's designed us and our bodies with a capacity to repair and renew and to deal with infection and damage. And there are specialists, obviously, in medicine um, that harness what God's already designed into the human body and we really thank God for them. But the business of healing is God's domain. But some illnesses overcome the body, overcome the mind. We may have heard of God intervening miraculously in the lives of others. We might have experienced that 
ourselves firsthand, and there are people here who would claim the work of the Lord in healing them miraculously, and others who have prayed and they haven't been healed physically. They may be despondent. Maybe God seems silent and things haven't changed. Well, when we come to God and we ask for healing, what are we doing? Are we asking him to change the situation, to intervene? Are we asking God to change us? How we think, how we feel, how we act in relation to our suffering or the suffering of others? Well, I think both are true, aren't they? It's about changing us and asking him to change our situation. Why do we suffer? That's a massive question. I'm not going to try and answer that. But there are three perhaps helpful things which I've found helpful in wondering why we suffer. Why do we get sick? It can be the result of obedience to God. As we step out in faith, as we share the gospel, as we attempt missions, often you're more acutely aware of the spiritual battle. Sometimes that's in terms of sickness and suffering. On the other extreme, it can be the result of personal sin. The Bible links the two things forgiveness of sins and healing. They go together. But thirdly, and this is, I think, the one perhaps I identify with perhaps most simply, is suffering is just the painful reality of living in a fallen world with all its imperfections and all its apparent unfairness. You know, the sun shines on the righteous and the wicked. The rain falls on both. So suffering does remain a bit of a mystery, as does prayer. There's not a simple explanation. So what do we do? We turn our eyes to Jesus, not our suffering, not our illness. We depend on his sustaining power to endure, for he knows suffering like no other. He endured suffering like no other. We're becoming more Christ-like, and the mysterious part suffering plays in that process is understood fully only by him who knows all things. So we submit to him. We pray for healing in this context. Not that God will simply remove us from the fire of suffering, but he promises us in Isaiah 43 to be with us in the fire, not necessarily to get us out of it. Jesus, the suffering servant, was not spared the suffering of the cross. Paul asked in prayer three times for healing from his thorn in the flesh, but it remained. Yet there are accounts where God intervened and changed the circumstances. Other accounts where we couldn't see that he did. We're also reassured that we won't be tested beyond what we can bear. So as we come to prayer, we can all pray. We are encouraged to call upon the elders. The elders have no special power You can pray with the person next to you. You can get up and walk to someone that you know and trust and say, actually, I don't want to share any details with you, but could you just pray for me at this moment? And I'm sure they will. And that's what being a body is about. So let's not let fear or even pride prevent us from the blessing of being cared for by others. So let's come humbly. Let's confess our sin. Let's be dependent on his grace and mercy. Let's ask God to change our situation. It isn't wrong. Jesus asked for the cup to be taken from him, you remember. 
Let's ask God to change us, make us more Christ-like, and to give us strength to endure. And let's leave the outcome with him. And let us know that he is in the fire with us or with those that you pray for. So hopefully that contextualizes what we're doing here in light of what Jeff's already shared about prayer. So the practicalities, let's stand and sing. And if you, during the singing and the quiet, you can choose to sit down. (laughs) Um, You can remain standing. We're not on ceremony here. Um, We'll quietly lead you through a number of songs that speak of not the physical healing, but the past, maybe regrets, relationships, guilt, all sorts of things. So the songs are chosen to just nudge us a bit and let the Spirit apply them to our hearts. So practically, you can come to the front and just be patient and we won't rush through this time and then we'll share bread and wine together. Is that okay? Good. Um, Jeff, would you like to lead us in prayer? Thank you. And of course, this is a preparation to coming to the Lord's table as well. Lord Jesus, we come to you today to rediscover your love. We come to you in our brokenness to find healing. In weakness to find courage. In penitence to find fresh forgiveness. In uncertainty to find the next step. in longing to find a clear purpose. And this prayer, in the name and the power of Christ, we pray. And we come to this table not because we must, but because we may. For sure not because we are strong, but because we are weak. We come not because of any goodness in our own that gives us a right to come, but because we stand in need of mercy and help. We come today because, Lord Jesus, often we love you little and would want to love you more. We come because you loved us and gave yourself for us. We want to meet with the risen Christ for we are his body. So let's continue in worship. that we break 
is a participation in the body of Christ. One loaf, one body, one people. Our Lord Jesus, his body was broken for us. And in that symbolic way we remind ourselves with this loaf as it's broken and given to us that by faith we feed on Jesus Christ, renewing our trust in him. Eat of this bread with thanksgiving in your heart and feed upon him by faith. Jesus said, this is my body which is broken for you. So as the bread is distributed, eat of it as you receive it, giving thanks. The bread that we break is a participation in the body of Christ. Is my body which is broken for you. This cup is referred to as the cup of blessing and it's going to be brought to us. And may I suggest that we keep the cup and then, as one body in Christ, we shall drink of it together. So, what shall we render to the Lord for all his goodness to us? Our response is we shall lift up the cup of salvation, call on the name of the Lord, and once more renewing our vows in the presence of his people. The cup of blessing, let's drink of it together. Lord Jesus, you've heard our prayers, our yearnings, the inner sigh of our hearts, sometimes for ourselves, but oftentimes for others, those whom we love, and we sometimes feel so helpless. And so what we have done today is to expose our vulnerability and Lord, surely you have heard our cry and all the unspoken prayers that are so hard to put into words. And indeed for those who are not able to be here today, we ask your blessing upon them. And we pray too, Lord Jesus, for those who are long-term carers, that they might have respite spiritually and physically. Would you come to us now and hear all our prayers? We gather them like the, the... the crumbs of the table in that sense and put them together all the fragments of our thinking and feeling in that great prayer that you taught your disciples to pray saying our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. So we're going to close by sharing the grace. I've just realized we forgot the offering. I think it's a good Sunday, so yes. (laughs) Let's share in the grace. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit 
be with us all evermore. Amen.